0: Welcome back to Love, Sweat, and Tears, Ingredients for Transformative Campus Leadership. Today, we have Martin Silverman on. He was a principal for, I think, 30 years is what he said, um, and just recently retired and is kind of moving into that coaching space because, man, he's got some great skills and stories. He talks about some of the failures he experienced and how he grew from them, and I just love the skills and resources he has, and he's just great to listen to. I know y'all will enjoy it, Marty. It's so great to have you on Love, Sweat, and Tears. Um, I would like to start just by you telling us a little bit about yourself, where you are right now, what you're doing. Uh,
1: Marty Silverman, I am a very recently uh, repurposed. I like. I you I have a friend that uses that word, and I think I'm going to use that. Maybe upcycled. We're going to. I will see which which one of those works best. Uh, elementary principal here in beautiful San Antonio, Texas. Um, I am a, uh, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, uh, a, a definitely a New Yorker. All my family is still up there and uh, still one of my favorite places to go. But I've been in Texas my whole career. I just finished my 40th year in Texas public education. Yeah, I moved here right out of college and uh, started teaching in houston isd um i worked in san antonio isd uh, medina valley isd I'm, for the last 25 years i've been in Jetson isd here in san antonio um i'm a father husband grandfather of four with two on the way two grandkids coming, so uh, and the oldest of which right now is three so lots of little kids and, so and babies little. and yeah. yeah so a lot of a lot of fun um uh, spending time with some very little people.
0: And are are all your kids and grandkids in the San Antonio area? They are. They're all within often? about
1: uh, 15 minutes. So...
0: Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, it's really nice. That's the really life. Nice. Oh,
1: for sure. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, So tell me about growing up in Brooklyn, what school was like for you? What were you like as a student?
1: Yeah. So I grew up, we, uh, you know, my parents were children of immigrants, right? So all, all four of my grandparents, uh, you know, immigrated. Uh Back in the early 1900s, and my parents were the first generation born here. So we grew up. Um, my we grew up. Uh, you know, I, for lack of a better word, we grew up poor. I lived in it when I was born. We lived in a housing project in Brooklyn. Uh, we lived there till I was seven years old. My parents never owned a home. They, we, you know, we rented apartments uh, my whole life growing up, and it was it was a it was a actually kind of a great place to grow up at at a great time. Although uh, the time in New York, it was kind of a tumultuous time, but for a kid, especially the youngest kid of four and the only boy, it was a very good, you know, a very good place to to grow up. My parents were, my dad uh, did not graduate high school. It worked in a a factory and um, in the garment district in Manhattan. Uh, My mother had gotten, she had a high school diploma with a, Uh, like what now would be considered a CTE. Like it wasn't, you know, a college bound program. It was a um, secretarial kind of program. And she worked, when I started school, she she started working and she was a secretary. She ended up working for the uh, city of New York police department and worked uh, for them for many years. And that's where she retired from. So, uh, you know, working class uh, people who, you know, like i said you know didn't have home ownership and all that and so i was one of the the i'll call it a crowning achievement right of my childhood is uh because i yeah. am because i am the age i am i was the first group of kids that went through head start and pre-k in new york when that was established back in 1966 uh and mm-hmm. so i was a i was a product of of pre-k and and that was uh, brand new. It started the year I was four. And uh, and so I got to, you know, having grown up where I grew up, the part of town I grew up in, uh, you know, that was a focus was working with uh, low-income families. And so uh, there I was, I was that guy.
0: Interesting. So what what was it in your life that made you want to pursue higher education?
1: So, you know, you hear a lot of times about people talking about their families pushing College, like you know, families that said, um, you know, you're going to go to college, and I think the expectation, you know, growing up in the '60s and mostly '70s, um, that you know, upward mobility was seen to be a thing. That was a thing. Now, so you know, I I, my parents, not being formally educated, were still pretty educated people. In that, uh, reading was a big thing. You know, there were books all over the house. They, you know, read newspapers. They 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 were they were readers, okay, and so that model was uh, definitely imprinted early, and so it was a really, um, you know, I I always felt like the expectation was that poor lower middle class kids, you know, you just go to college. It, It was I don't remember it ever being like formally pushed but but it was certainly you know um, it was certainly a thing that was seen to be a good a good thing, and so um yeah, and my you know being the youngest i my sisters all went to college, my oldest sister actually didn't finish college till much later, but um you know my the two that were right ahead of me uh they f- went you know they just did the four year thing right out of high school, went to college. And did that, and so the model was definitely there to do it. I was the only one of us that went away to college. Uh, I I didn't go to college in in Brooklyn like my sisters did. Um, I went to a college in upstate New York, and um, uh, you know had kind of like that adventure. But um, but it was uh, it, it was definitely seen as a, and it was very accessible and available. Uh, College was easy. Now, my parents couldn't help navigate it. They did. A lot of it was done on my own and through, you know, whatever resources I could kind of find myself or through, you know, um, through the high school I went to. Uh, And I went to a a magnet public high school in Brooklyn that was very progressive. Um, It was based on uh, John Dewey theories. John Dewey High School is what it was called. And it was a non graded, non graded situation where things were done independently. And so like I graduated when I was officially I graduated when I was 16 from high school because I had amassed enough credits to be done, you know, but right before I turned 17. And so um, the self determination to achieve was a big part of that high school. And so I think that helps when you're, when you know, when you're trying to navigate college, being a first-generation college student.
0: When was it that you kind of knew you wanted to pursue education? Was it before you started college or did you discover that along the way? You know, it's
1: funny because I look back at school was always a good experience for me. I was a pretty good student. Okay. Um, you know, there were the same troubles that people have in school don't get me wrong but mm-hmm. um but but school in general was really positive and so I, there was a time when i look back at like even in elementary school being a teacher was a thing that was like on the radar possibly but i didn't i didn't pursue it initially when i went to college i went as an undeclared major uh, my parents would have loved for me to be a business major. The sisters before me had been a, an accounting major and a economics major, uh, you know, the two right before me. And so, you know, that was a, uh, you know, a, a a Jewish kid growing up in Brooklyn. That was a thing that parents wanted you to do, right? Going go into business. And but I but I didn't I didn't ever bite on that for sure. I went as an undeclared major. I became a communications major, a speech communications major. And then, you know, talk about an epiphanous moment. So I was getting ready to go into my junior year and people would ask me with a with a communications degree, like, what are you going to do with that? And I had this real vague, you know, like, I, I don't know about public relations. I don't know, you know, like uh, something in communication, but I didn't really have a, uh, certainly it, it wasn't career based for me. And so um I was getting ready to pre-register for communications classes my for my junior year, and I had literally I was standing in line. I always talk about this moment because it was it was real seminal in my you know my upbringing. I I was standing in line to get um, to pre-register for courses and they opened the door to the room to pre-register and something struck me and i i I still can't you know uh, describe exactly what it was but i stepped out of that line and walked over to the education department and changed my major like you know not ever having certainly verbalized you know like this is something i want to do i'm sure it was there and so like you know it was it was always there, I guess, in the in the undercurrent, but it was never it was never something that I went knowing that I was going to do. And man, I switched to education as a major and just got all into it. I was, you know, I, Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to still graduate, you know, in four years. And so I doubled up a lot of classes, I took, you know, a 24 hour a semester one year, you know, one of the times just to be able to catch up. And, but I, but I also got the best grades I had ever gotten because it, uh, you know, it suddenly there was a purpose to it. And so, you know, when you have purpose, right, you, you were, when you have more to do, you get more done. And when you have a purpose, you get more done. Yeah. And, and suddenly I had this purpose and, and uh I got it done. I, you know, I, I finished uh, and graduated with my, with my class, uh, even though changing majors late Uh, to a whole different thing. Uh, It just worked out for me. And I was also a, I had a teacher when I was in junior high, the teacher that was the most impactful to me. Um, She was my seventh grade Spanish teacher. And so I was, I became like in love with learning language and, and taking language. And so starting in seventh grade, I took Spanish all the way through to sophomore year of college. I had also taken two years of French in high school. I took Spanish and French at the same time. And so um, after my second year teaching, I became a bilingual teacher for a year. And that was a, and, and, you know, I, when you talk about the influence of people, you know, she, and luckily as we, you know, as I was in my career and social media became a thing i was able to connect with her and tell her you know this is this is i became a bilingual teacher because because of of something you did and so um i was a bilingual teacher for a year and um yeah it was a i mean just all kinds of positive mostly almost you know i stayed 40 years beth so <laughs> there had to be positivity in in that you, people don't stick with the career as long as as I did and hate it uh, hopefully hopefully they don't and uh, and so it was it was a lot of loving what I did for sure
0: hmm what did you do on those those hard days or maybe those hard years that it, when you found yourself thinking like is this still worth it um, what were what were the things that you would do or tell yourself to remind yourself like yeah, it is still worth it.
1: You know, and, and how you how you phrase that question is exactly right, because you do have to mm. tell yourself that. You do have to remind yourself, mm. because it's so easy to get caught up in um, tornadoes of negativity. Um, you know, I as a, as a leader who has helped other leaders, I've told people, if you, you know, you'll find tornadoes of negativity. And if you don't, if you allow yourself to get caught up in that, um, vortex and nobody's got their feet on the ground and so kind of early um I realized that yes there's there are definitely you know bad days bad weeks bad years um but but in reality nothing is all great or all bad and so when you um uh specifically and intentionally look for uh, and remind yourself you know what yes this is this is bad what will the impact of this be in you know five minutes, five hours, five days, five months, five years? Right. You can. It's it's a lot easier to bring yourself back to the fact that most, you know, most difficulties are are transient, they're temporary, and that really the good way. I mean, like so far outweighs the bad uh, when you're doing something that you enjoy doing and that you're good at. You know. So uh, it, it that that is. It it was just about being intentionally aware that things are, you know, are not permanent and that bad things are not permanent and that, and that you can, you know, and that you draw on the, the, all the good experiences. You know, I'll give you an example of this. So as a teacher, I taught for seven years in the classroom. I was an elementary teacher and I was a, I taught first grade. I taught fourth grade. I taught fifth grade and I taught a as well. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to create in my classroom was uh, that for kids so that, you know, yes, you're going to have, they're going to be struggles. They're going to be, um, times when things, you know, are not easy. There are going to be times when you're not getting along with people. Even me, you may not be getting along with me. Uh, you know, I may not be getting along with you. Like those things happen. But, but what I tried to do intentionally as a teacher and then as a teacher leader was to provide enough positive experiences that the negative didn't, um, you know, cause collapse that you could that that there was kind of a strength in a base that existed like at, at, you know my students i i would tell them you know i love you right i love you i care about you i i need for you i want you to do the best that you can and then when we had you know and and i deliberately did a lot of things to show them that i cared about them that i loved them that i wanted them to do well so that when difficult things happened you know you can you had that base of all right, I have support, I have love, I have, you know, many, many good experiences that this bad experience is not going to uh, dilute all that good.
0: Talk to me about, you know, as you're in the classroom for these seven years, at what point did you kind of feel like you might want to transition into administration?
1: So I'm going to tell you that that happened actually in my first year of teaching. Um not it, it wasn't it wasn't as specific as that, but but I started teaching at a school in Houston that uh, as a first grade teacher and I was on a team of I think there were five of us maybe, you know, four other first grade teachers. And one of the teachers there had been teaching for 29 or 30 years at that time, teaching first grade at that school. So she had been you know there all that time and and one of the things that that i thought initially was i don't know that you know and this is even just starting out my first view you know my first semester there was was i like this this is what i want to do and i'm not ready to you know go immediately but but that i need to set myself up because i don't know that i could do the same thing for 30 the exact same thing for 30 years you know she was able to do that and she drew you know she was joyful and you know she she wasn't a bad model it wasn't like that she hated her job after 30 years she still enjoyed doing what she did but it was but i i knew myself that that was not going to be uh workable for me and so i think it was even my second semester teaching that I uh, enrolled in a master's program at initially at University of Houston to start taking classes to eventually you know create something that would be uh, something else at some point, yeah.
0: So when was it that you kind of got that opportunity to transition into, did you go into an AP role first for a few years?
1: So what I did was I, I, after three years in Houston, I moved to San Antonio and i started working in uh, san antonio isd and in my in my f- 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 fourth year there so my seventh year teaching there was a um an opportunity for people who had uh well okay let me let me back up a little bit so the at that time the teacher appraisal process uh required every teacher to have two observations two formal observations one by their supervisor and one by what was called other appraiser okay and so in in san antonio isd at the time elementary schools didn't have assistant principals and so the you know the principal was the supervisor for everybody and so what the district did was they hired this cadre of teachers who were who got trained to be teacher appraisers and then they were the other appraiser right for for and so they they took them out of the classroom, they trained them in the in the you know formally in the you know got certified as as appraisers and then and then those people went around to schools and did formal appraisals and so I was able to get chosen to be one of those people in my uh you know in after my seventh year of teaching, and so that position was like I can't even tell you how amazing an experience that was in a year and a half I did 450 formal appraisals from elementary to middle school um so uh, pre-K to 8th grade and uh, and had this amazing experience what I would do is I would go to a school I would you know be assigned there for a couple of weeks I would do all the formal appraisals and then kind of move on to the next school to the next school to the next school and so the the intense amount of instruction, both phenomenal and terrible that I got to see in those, you know, in that really short period of time was transformational. I mean, that's, yeah, nobody, gets that, you know? right. <laughs> nobody gets to do that, you know, gets and get paid for it. I mean, it was, yeah. it was, a, it was a phenomenal job. It was a phenomenal job. And what at that time, San yeah. Antonio ISD often chose for that position, people who were interested in administration and so when it, what ended up happening was um i was in my second year in that position but the uh, the school that i had actually taught at that my wife was still teaching at we hadn't we met you know teaching that um and we talked together uh, she needed an assistant principal and so about december of that second year um she that principal Chose me as an assistant principal, so I did that for a year and a half, and then I became an assistant principal. After that, but but having left and come back, the amount of instructional knowledge that I had was just—I mean, it was it was phenomenal. It was just incredible. Um, things that I had seen and then could you know could work into uh, this is a this is you know I've seen different ways of doing things, different you know, methods of organization and, and, um, you know, of social emotional and just all of those things. And then I could be a, a much better resource to teachers than when I went back because I had seen so much. Yeah.
0: Right. So I want to hear a little bit about your first few years as an administrator what did you learn what was that transition like into a leadership position um and i'd love to hear some more of how you used all of that experience to help coach your teachers
1: yeah so initially so for that year and a half i was you know i had done the appraisals for a year and a half and then i was assistant principal Mm -hmm. at the school that i had taught at for a year and a half and 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 what's funny is my wife still worked there So I was, I actually went back and I was the assistant Mm -hmm. principal at the school she taught at also the guy that had been Mm -hmm. the best man at my wedding taught there. And yeah, it was like, but,
0: okay, yeah, but it
1: was, it was a great assistant principal situation, but it wasn't a realistic one because, you know, you don't usually get to go back to the place where you've been, you know, kind of nurtured and, (laughs) and all that. And you had, you had friends there and, and, yeah. and and all that. So, mm-hmm. but I will tell you that being as young as I was, I was 29, I think 28 or 29 when I left the classroom. And then here I am now, I've, I've been an appraiser for 28, right? So then I was 31. At the end of my second year as assistant principal, actually a year and a half as assistant principal at the school that I, that I worked at, and I was 31. And luckily, you know, when you're 31 you know everything right you <laughs> you have there is a there's a supreme confidence uh that comes with being uh 31 in an administrative role because you know you you already know everything and i yeah and so i uh back in the in that time this was in 1993 uh you know not internet job searches or anything like that you look for jobs in the newspaper and there was a Uh, A news, a little ad for a principal position in a small rural suburban, but at that time, mostly rural district right outside San Antonio, about 15 minutes outside of town. And it was for a primary, a pre-K through two elementary school uh, with 475 kids. And I applied for it. And short uh, version of the story is I got that job. And so here I was, 31 and i was named you know principal at this at this little school and i was coming in with all kinds of confidence and you know i already knew everything and remember all my experience up to then i grew i'd grown up in brooklyn i worked in houston isd in the city and i worked in san antonio isd in you know in the city and so i was going to this rural mostly rural district uh knowing everything and and my first you know, what I learned was, was how to make mistakes and then uh, get myself straight. So, you know, I went in with all these ideas of, you know, this is what needs to be done. Like we have to, I, I I met with the secretary, I got hired in July and, you know, the teachers weren't back and I, and the secretary uh, agreed to meet me up at school and, and show me some things. And, you know, I, I, I had all these ideas that we're going to start, you know, we're going to hit the we're going to hit it hard and do all these make all these changes and all that. And what I learned was that that was a spectacularly terrible idea and sure. and but i went in and I, I did it anyway don't don't get me wrong i was 31 and i did it anyway you know it wasn't like it wasn't like i you know i had a moment before it happened it was it was because it happened that i that i had a moment so i go in i make these changes people the guy that i had that i replaced had been there for 15 years uh he was local um there were some issues with some serious issues with um uh, school performance, uh, in the school and in the district, though it was a primary school, it was, there was some like TEA in the Texas education associate, or yeah, Texas education agency, you know, intervention, uh, I, which I didn't know before I was hired, but the superintendent was, was new. She was hired to, you know, kind of make some changes. And then I was her first hire. So, uh, and we didn't know each other. It was, you know, just kind of out of the blue, but, but what I found is there were a few people that were very, just like you'll find anywhere, there were a few people that were ready for change. They wanted, you know, they wanted change and they were, they were in my corner right from the beginning, right? They they wanted somebody to come in and fix what they appeared to, you know. And then there were a significant number of people who were ambivalent and there was a significant number of people who didn't, you know, thought things were just fine the way they were as you know this is no surprise to anybody except it was a surprise to me. <laughs> it it was a surprise to me at the time because i just assumed you know everybody would know that i was coming in with great intention and with yeah. you know uh, wanting to you know all this
0: experience prove, yes, and all these yes yeah. all these great ideas
1: from the city and and uh, you know and, and and it did not go over great so initially um there was a there was a survey done, i want to say about mid year and um and I was floored by the negative comments on that survey because because I'll tell you this beth you know I went in with a positive you know i I didn't think that people there were doing anything terribly wrong you know i i I was a teacher, I was coming in still you know with the heart of a teacher um still have a heart of a teacher, hopefully. And it was not that I was going in saying, you know, y'all are doing everything wrong. Uh, here's the right way to do it. It wasn't that. It was. It was. Here's a better way to do what we're doing. And and I made the mistake that leaders make all the time, which is I was thinking about five steps ahead of where people were, uh, you know, in practice, and I was, I was trying to get them to that place five steps ahead where I was and and without considering the interim steps to get there and so yeah because i was just going to go in and we're just going to fix it i mean like you know we have to fix this let's just let's just fix it right (laughs) and and so right and so the survey that year and i used to keep a copy of that survey in my desk for years after that um Mm. just as a reminder and this was
0: a survey like that the teachers had responded to? Oh yeah. Oh
1: yeah. And we're, and we're saying, you know, new principal is not an improvement. And you know, like there were, there were comments that were, uh, you know, just telling me all the things that telling all the things that I, I didn't give the survey. It was like, either the district did probably because they were required, probably because they were required by TEA, but, but it was, um, but the survey did not go very well. And, uh, but but, what it did for me was say, Okay, idiot, you know like <laughs> stop it, uh, stop yeah. trying to to force change before setting up the stage for change to be able to happen, and so the focus for me just changed completely to that because you know what this is this is how I felt like I was initially hurt I'm a human you know like I was hurt by the comments right I was, right, of I was course. mad I was mad about them you know I went through all the yeah. the uh, the you know the stages of the kubler Ross you know stages of grief kind of stuff I was yeah, like grief. you know yeah, yeah. I, I but but what I realized was you know initially I was thinking I'm fretting about this I'm like not sleeping and whatever and they're sleeping fine Right. The, the people who wrote the stuff were were fine. So I, I had to initially get to that point where I'm saying, OK, this is not necessarily personal to me. It, it's not me. They they don't care for specific. I mean, there may be people who didn't care for me you know, specifically, but uh, but but it was really my way that was causing there to be an issue. And I can fix that. You know, I can fix the I can fix the approach and I needed to fix the approach. That approach is not, yeah, I've seen that mistake. My mistake has happened so many times to so many people that d- that didn't need to happen. Because if you, if you see that the approach and that the taking those steps, you know, but of course I didn't know that at the time and nobody had coached me to that. Nobody had coached me there because I had been as an assistant principal, you know, I was working with my friends and my wife and my, you know, like that. And everybody was fine, right? Um <laughs> And so now, you know, on my own trying to do this, it was it was a whole different thing. And so and so I did I really, really learned uh, so much from that experience uh, that helped me then uh, move forward in a much, much more inclusive, a much more um, collaborative way uh, that needed. And also to be a lot more patient with people who were not quite there yet uh, in my way of thinking or in a way of thinking that was going to solve problems rather than, you know, perpetuate them.
0: Yeah. I'd love to hear, we talk about this a lot on this podcast of how a new principal can come to a new campus and fix things in a way that's respectful and honoring of the good things that they've got going for them and honoring of the past. While also, especially if there's a growth plan or something like that in place where it's like, also, change doesn't have to be bad. So what are some, some specific things that you changed about your approach that you feel like started to work better?
1: You know, the first thing that I did uh, that I consciously did was to really dig into what the what the culture was of the school when I got there and, and, and to not be adversarial to that culture, to find, you know, just like I was talking about my classroom um, to find what the positive things were in the culture, to find, you know, where the, uh, the levers were, who the, who the people were that were uh, influential and, and um, just what, what things were sacred and shouldn't be, changed in a, you know, uh, in a way that is heavy hitting. Um, and so really a lot of it was that it was, it was taking a step back, you know, uh, when I stayed at that school for five years and when I was looking for a, a position to move, this is, I could say, this is, you know, specifically what I learned. Um, I interviewed for a position, um, and I was asked, "What would you do in the first ninety days? You know that's a kind of a typical question right and and what I learned was five years later that when I interviewed for this position was my answer was nothing. What I would change is nothing in in my first ninety days. I would not have said that in my you know in my first interview five five years earlier um what i was what i what I said was just what I'm saying to you now is what I would do in the first ninety days is Uh, use, you know, my two eyes and my two ears rather than my one mouth. (laughs) And, you know, and, and listen and, and see twice as much as I said, to find out what was really kind of going on there before starting to find a a place an opening where change could Mm -hmm. be done uh, in a way that we knew would be successful.
0: I want to talk a little bit about that shifting from a deficit mindset. You kind of mentioned that earlier um, of not focusing on just what's wrong or what's bad. Um I want to I want you to talk to me about why that's important to you and what how you've seen that deficit mindset in education so we kind of understand what we're talking about.
1: Right. So remember I started teaching as a first grade teacher and i worked at that that first school i was principal at was pre k through 2 eventually in the 5 years i was there we added third grade but it was all little kids you know like it was all little kids I, when i left there were 845 i think pre k through 3 kids so a lot of little kids so and and you know what what sh- and i had little kids at that time my uh when i got hired at that school i had a 2 year old and a 6 month old right and and what i realized was kids were leaving homes where they were treasured for the most part, where they, everything they did was cute. You know, every approximation of a word was celebrated. Um, You know, if they, when when kids were learning how to, and this is, this is for a majority, like a great majority, there are, there are kids that have tough situations, don't get me wrong. But for the most part, you know, uh, if when a child is learning how to talk, And they say, you know, a word incorrectly. It's not, we don't hammer at them. (laughs) We, you know, we're like, yes, you know, we're like, you know, uh, they say something for something else. And we're like, yes, you know, that's, you're right. That's, you know, tree, if they say fee, you know, like, we're like, you know, they say, look at the fee, you know, we're like, yes, look at the tree. And, and we and we build on the fact that we build in them a confidence in being able to try stuff and not being, you know, hammered at because they did it wrong. And what what happens when they go to school initially is that because of the way school has been structured, for lack of a better word, is... You know, all of a sudden, there are these what I'll call arbitrary, you know, like when you're four, you're supposed to be able to do this when you're five, you should be able to do this. But, you know, what was initially meant in early childhood research as, uh, you know, kind of benchmark suggestions became like, uh, you know, benchmark, like, you have to meet them or you're or you're not you're, you know, you're, you're, you're a problem. So what, what, what happens in school, a lot of times when that, when that's the focus, even in as early as pre-K and K kids will come in and they are, you know, coming off of being allowed to make mistakes and, and, you know, their, their approximations are good verbally and, you know, physically and, and they learn how to take turns and share and all those kinds of things. But we we you know we work them through it. All of a sudden that now becomes a mark on a report card that says you are not, you know, you don't know enough letters, you don't know enough sounds, you don't know enough words, you don't know how to stand in a line, you don't know how to sit on a carpet, you don't know how to share blocks, you don't know and you know, and what we report to to parents eventually, but to kids initially is you're not doing that right. Like, not, yes, you know, you're, you're um, saying this letter, you know, you're, you know, my gosh, you know, this many letters, it's like, wow, you don't know 10 of your letters, you don't know, you know, 15 of your sounds, you don't know this many numbers. And, and then we start reporting it that way to parents, we start saying, well, this is where your child is, you know, weak, this is where your child needs help. And, and I'll, I'll say this: there has been conscious effort to change that, but I don't know that we do a great job of of reporting the good. You know, th- like they'll always say, right? Start with something positive, um, put your concern in, and then end with something positive, right? The what are they, the positive sandwich, right? When you're when you're having a conference, but but really, a lot of people I've seen teachers do this, not because they're bad people, not because they want, you know, to create a problem for kids or parents, but what they, the, the positive stuff is not as enthusiastically reported as the deficits. like we get right to deficits. But when I started teaching in 1983, we there were not uh, state tests yet. Um, and so you know, we hadn't started uh, doing the No Child Left Behind, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So it was there were certainly expectations for kids. Um, but there were, but approximations to, to that were okay. So, you know, I talk about my first couple of years, my first two years was before class size limits in Texas. It was before, you know, it was before conference periods. It was before a duty-free lunch, right? <laughs> but I, so I had 31 kids my first year in first grade and 34 my second year in first grade and no conference period. And we had to be on, you know, we had to eat lunch with them as well. Um, it was, but it was doable because while there were expectations, we, we were on a more, I feel like a more sane timeline to get to those expectations. Like every kid was expected to, at the end of first grade, be able to read the first grade level books. Right. But, but there was time to develop that. If, if they. It, there wasn't a focus on what they you know what they couldn't do it, there was a focus on come on you know y'all can do this let's get to you know let's build your skills so that we can get to a place testing changed that in a lot of ways um because then there was this hard line of if you don't do this then something bad happens to you to your school you know it embarrasses your parents Uh, It gets reported in the newspaper and people start thinking that the local public school is not doing a good job. You know, there's there's so much there was so much of that that got into it. And what I believe is that started us as a as a system on focusing on deficits, because what ended up happening later was, you know, principals would get a stack of test scores from the end of the year state test. And the first thing they look at is who didn't pass who didn't you know who didn't master who didn't move up a level and you start focus that becomes where your mind is at not uh, you know, eventually you look at oh these kids grew and you know this kid um who hadn't passed you know now suddenly was passing but we started putting so much stock into that that our whole system became focused on on fixing deficits rather than
0: right. intensifying
1: strengths you know we start
0: well because we as the teachers and administrators are more afraid of the sticks than we are rewarded by the carrots absolutely, like absolutely. nothing's really gonna happen to you if you're if your test scores are stellar right. but something's gonna happen if they're terrible right.
1: that's exactly right and and all of yeah. the and when I say all of the I mean I, I really don't even say that uh with hyperbole it's All of the additional funding, all of the additional support, you know, all of that goes to kids who are, quote unquote, not, you know, they're in need of tutoring and they're in need of, it's very easy to cut um, gifted and talented programs, arts programs, you know, like library programs, when, if the budget requires you to put money towards remediation, but I feel like that's kind of flipped the wrong way. Uh, it's it's flipped the wrong. Rather than rather than living in the you know in the remediation space, we should be living in the um in the positive space.
0: How can principals do that when they're kind of confined in the system that doesn't do that? What can our administrators do to at least on their campus and with their language and their teachers kind of try to shift that mindset towards being, you know, focused on the strengths rather than just the deficits?
1: So one of the ways, you know, I think I feel like where that starts is in school culture. If when that becomes the the school culture. So one of the things um, that Uh, You know, it occurred to me actually, it occurred to me late because now I'm not there anymore, uh, you know, in in a school, but um, so it occurred to me really late. It was actually at the conference where uh, you and I eventually got connected uh, through through Tommy. And so uh, I was thinking about, I was at that conference and I was presenting a session on uh, nurturing a culture that promotes teacher retention. Right. How do you how do you make your school a place that people want to be? And what I one of the things I was talking about is that at our school, we had adopted this uh, just three easy word um, uh, saying, you know, you belong here. Right. So I said if we and and I'm saying it that way. And now I'm going to tell you how that's evolved in my head. So what we were trying to provide at our school, we were saying this is a this is a good public school that we you know where where good things happen and sometimes bad things happen don't get me wrong but uh but mostly this is a you know a good school so how do we promote the culture here so that people know that this is a a good school and a good place for kids to come and people to work and for parents to feel comfortable leaving their kids and so uh, we had come up right pre pandemic like literally right pre pandemic we had come up with this idea um this this kind of a broad, you belong here. And the idea was we were going to create a culture where there was something for everyone at some point. Not all the time. We can't be everything to everybody all the time. But but what we wanted to create was opportunities, and this is students, staff, families, um, to connect at some point with the school so that when something was going on that was maybe not as connective, it was not oh this school doesn't connect with me it's like they don't this particular activity event whatever may not connect but i know that something is coming up you know that that i will connect with so that so so the purposeful thinking about what makes people want to come to a place and that is when something who they are or what they do uh, what they're good at is honored right and so we started talking about providing opportunities in during the school day for kids to have something to look forward to so if you're you know academic um there's something for you if you're artistic if you're musical if you're athletic if you're you know a thinker if you're a reader if you're whatever and so that and and so that at some point in the school there would be something, and uh, and therefore because it's an elementary school someone to connect to that, um, you know, that meets your needs. And so the idea was you belong here. Uh, there's something for you here. There's something for you at, at the school I was at, uh, you know, Salinas Elementary, uh, you belong here at Salinas. And, and so mm-hmm. what we had initially planned, which then got literally was supposed to start right after spring break of 2020, <laughs> which never happened, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which never happened was we were going to start a um, a pilot program with first graders where we were going to have like an in the day club period and teachers were going to use their you know we had a teacher who was into yoga who was going to teach yoga and we were going to do you know athletic things and you know uh things uh for kids who were into uh technology and we had we had we had bought all this stuff and then of course that didn't that didn't happen and but but the idea kept on and so what what we did specifically this past year, because we're now, you know, we were now second year uh, past the COVID shutdown, but kids were still not, like we realized we had a bunch of kids that had never been on a field trip because, you know, no field trips in 20, no field trips in 21. And so all of a sudden we had kids that were, that had never been anywhere. And, and, and what we were, you know, when people, right. So So what people, when people talk Mm -hmm. about learning loss which is really kind of a misconstrued and probably misworded um phrase they didn't really lose learning they didn't have it to begin with you know they didn't have the opportunities you know they didn't lose something they had they they lost maybe the opportunity to do things is we that was the, the the idea was we need to provide so like you know if you're a reading person um to provide schema so that kids could then um connect things experiences with you know things they read and and all that and we know that that's um uh, something that's specifically helpful right and so what we did this year specifically and I had a PTO that was very uh that became very involved and what I told them was I want to I want to provide an activity every month that is for kids and or families that create an experience that they have maybe not had before, so for example, we did a in September of twenty two we did a back to school bash, and we had vendors and we had one of those foam um the thing that spit out foam, you know that the foam gets three feet high oh, and we, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, and uh, yeah. and we had some guy come dressed as you know one of the like uh Uh, robot from you know we 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 specifically provided we provided music we provided stuff for families to engage with each other and kids to have an experience then in october uh for indigenous people's days we had uh, you know the kickapoo tribe uh, down here in southwest texas is Mm. is a thing and and a guy came Mm -hmm. and he brought um artifacts and uh you know and a TP mm. that was you know traditional and he talked to the kids about traditional things wow. in november yeah. we you know we had this great plan that got rained out and we had to change it but we were going to do we have a playground behind our school that's up on a hill and we were going to do s'mores on the hill kids you know we were going to give the kids the opportunity to make s'mores mm. and sit outside by fires and read stories and whatever we ended up having to move it to an indoor thing the weather didn't cooperate but we but we made s'mores for all the kids uh in as a as a thing and then gave them the opportunity to you know like uh, experience that all together and there were things throughout the year that were provided to to deliberately provide schema i called it uh first friday we did it we tried to schedule it the first friday of every month um and then what had occurred to me when i was doing that presentation was that the words in you belong here were the most meaningful and so this is now going back to to what you originally asked, which is, you know, when when we look at you belong here, if you if you the the idea of it is you belong here, put the emphasis on you, right? So we're talking about our kids, our teachers, our um, staff, our families. You belong here, and then you belong here. Like belong is the is if you if you put the emphasis there, belonging is you know something that we want to we want you to connect with. Uh, with our school because the school that I was at was not, uh, you know, some schools have the benefit of being the school for a, a town, uh, the school for a neighborhood, whatever, we were not in a neighborhood specifically, we drew kids from a bunch of different neighborhoods, not from any particular, you know, geographic. So there was not a a connection that we had to create, you know, Salinas as a, as a place where you belong and then you belong here. So you put the emphasis on here that like, this is the place where, um where you belong like when you see the building when you walk into the building you know here is a place so we were talking about you who the people were belong being the you know the the operative word and then here the the place being the place and so when you think of it that way there is a lot of power to that a lot of power to those three words uh if you can create a place where you belong here you belong here and you belong here does that make sense
0: yeah, totally. I love it. Um, how was that received by the community? I'd love to hear just stories of how those events went with your students and your staff. You know, was it still, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, I've been the president of our PTA at our school for a few years. And so, you know, every time you put on a new thing, it's like all oh, the stress and then it's always great. So what was that like leading that initiative, finally getting to see it, you know, exist after having planned it for so long? It
1: was, it was so incredibly well-received, um, certainly by the community, the community loved it. Now we were, you know, our district was, is a, um, in in one way, an open enrollment, uh, our district and our school, right? So people can choose, if you live in, in our school district, there are 20 elementaries and you can't, you're allowed to choose, you know, with space available, uh, to go to whichever school you want to and and our district is also open to students who are outside the district and so if you want to if you live in a neighboring district or anywhere and you want your child to go there, you know we accept those uh, transfers in and our school had had between i think it was just right under two hundred kids that were not in our zone. I think it was i think it was like in the 180s or something like that of people who chose to come to that school and so much of it was because of that focus uh people would say that you know like i i'll choose to go to that school because that school you know not only meets our needs uh academically but certainly socially and provides an experience for our kids that we want so um uh, the, you know, it's, the work is incredible and it was, and I put that all on my, on my volunteers, the PTO, and it was not a whole ton of people that did it. It, you know, as I, as yeah. you know, as a PTO uh, mom yourself, it's oh, yeah. not, yeah, it's <laughs> not, you know, it, 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 you have these grand plans and then, uh, people, but what it took was, I will say this, I had a PTO president who also worked at that school and his kids went there and she, um, she was great at getting community partners to volunteer to donate to uh you know participate Mm. in events like we had food trucks at events because she called people and said bring your food truck or we had vendors at events because she you know or like we're having this activity and i need um cookies donated so the kids could decorate it we did a holiday thing in december and we need and and people would do it so uh it, because because really the the big part as you know is asking like if you right. people don't just yep. come to you they don't just 100%. they don't just show up but if you ask people will will typically do something and if you were to see the poster that we had up of our sponsors for the year for different things there were dozens of people who did a little bit because you just you, you don't need one person to do it all you need a bunch of people to do a little bit and um and that's what uh, that's kind of how that was. And that also brought in the greater community of people who then also got a positive, uh, image of our school because they had volunteered because they had, uh, donated stuff and they were like, Oh, this is a, this is a good school because they do things to, you know, create an experience for kids. Yeah.
0: Man, that's awesome. Ugh, and that gives me, you know, this time in the year is always that like, oh, okay. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm like, it's just, I'm finish the year out well and thinking about the next year. And so it's just good to remember like why we do this and what a difference it actually can make. And that's like, that's what we want to do is like, make that difference. Yeah. One
1: of my big, um, uh, focuses is on teacher retention. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm writing a book on that. That's going to be published at some point. Uh, and, and one of the things that I can say about our school, because in these times, you know, Teachers don't stay uh, in places, so certainly in places that they don't want to be. And it's not all money. You know, we can't control money and we can't control, you know, um, state mandates and all that kind of stuff. But we can control the culture in our building, uh, in, our, in our community. And so I had, when I left a couple of weeks ago, uh, out of a staff of 90, I had three people who left one two of them moved out of town one out of state uh one to rockport and then one only one who switched districts fairly locally uh though it was still a little bit closer to our home so um so people did you know buy into the fact that they were working in a culture where it was uh, you know where they were there also their needs were honored and so uh there there a lot went into into that as well, creating a you know place where teachers could teach and kids could learn and families could you know be connected. Um, that's not something that happens overnight. And you know, going back to something we talked about earlier, when you talk about lessons learned, is there is I've been a longevity guy. So I was at that school for eight years. I was at the school previous to that for 13 years, right? Um, so the last two schools I've been at, you know, 21 of my 25 years in the district have been just at two schools and those cultures develop over time they're not you people want to go in and change culture quickly to make quick gains and and there are some things you can do quickly to make quick changes you know like to make quick improvements but but culture building takes time and you have to be willing to kind of be all in where you're at, at the time, you know, and not be like ready to go to the next thing already and be able to commit time to developing, to developing a culture. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't get to that point, you know, in your first year.
0: That's good to remember. <laughs> um, we're kind of coming up on time. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's been almost an hour. Um, but before we go, I would love to ask just, you know what? What would you say to a new principal who has maybe been in the role for a year or two, or what would you say to Marty when you were in that space? Like, what what kind of words would you like to leave us with today?
1: You know, one of the best pieces of advice that I have been given, and I give there are, there are actually two two quotes that I've given to, and I will tell you that that one of the things I'm proud of Beth is that every assistant principal that I had that wanted to be a principal became one like I'm I had a hundred percent success in people who wanted to become principals becoming them and so I, and so I'm going to I'm going to say uh, that you know a lot of that is is uh, is circumstance but uh, but but what I feel like I gave to them which is what I would want to somebody have said to me and uh is is two different things one of them is you know going back to the experience that I told you that I learned from is make haste slowly right that's I, i've i've printed that out for people to to keep in their desk or on their thing you know make haste you have to you have to do it but you have to do it slowly uh, change doesn't come in in you know big dramatic sweeps it comes in really small um small bits i i you know I talk about the uh the example I like to give is sometimes a tsunami is a big wave that comes dramatically, like on TV and in movies, you'll see this big, you know, wave that's as big as a building come in, but really, right. But really what it, you know, the the other way that that probably more likely comes in is that the tide gets higher, but it doesn't recede, and then it gets higher, and it doesn't recede, and it gets higher, and it doesn't recede. And that's really the tsunami that uh, educators, leaders need to need to, you know, try to work for not the big crashing wave that destroys, but the, you know, but, but improving a little and then not falling back and then improving a little bit more and not falling back and improving a little bit more. And that also is more humanly possible than creating, you know, bunches of big waves, (laughs) bunches of big waves. Right. So, uh, so that that's more sustainable. And the other one is, you know, just the basic people want to be seen, valued and heard. Uh, staff wants to be seen valued and heard kids want to be seen valued and heard uh families want to be seen valued and heard and 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 so what you what you have to do there is to give not you you have to be able to not be the, be your community not be your staff you be you have to be you you have to be you in the position that you're in but you have to be able to you know accept and honor and and uh for lack of a better word work with people who you know think differently look differently act differently than you and kind of take again not looking at deficit because when you look at what is um you know if you work in inner city like i have a lot of my career the people who come in our families who come in may not look like me they may not uh act like me. They may not dress like me. They may, you know, whatever. They're not my age. But when we, if, but if we start to look at all the things that are different between us, that's easy to find too. But if we look at the things that are the same about us, where, you know, humans, where we care about the kids, you know, the kid, we're connected to the school where, you know, there's so many things that, where we can start on a, on a place where we have things in common. And when you find those first, uh, you know, you're in a much better position. So uh, the advice I would give is to find the commonalities before you find the differences. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm, That's so good. Marty, it's been so great chatting with you. Um, Is there anywhere on social media or online where folks can connect with you if they'd like to?
1: Absolutely. I would love to, you know, now that I'm retired, I, I, you know, I told people at that, at that mm. conference, like, you know, connect with me because I don't have mm-hmm. anything else to do now. So, <laughs> so I'd love to be connected, uh, you know, hope to still stay in mm. the in the uh, education realm at some point in some capacity, uh, for sure. Uh, but I'm on Twitter uh, at Mister Silverman 116 uh, is my Twitter handle and I would love to, you know, I, I tend to Twitter doom scroll and so I'd love to see some positivity on my Twitter feed. So, uh, definitely connect with me and, and, uh, bring some positivity to that. You know, I'm on Facebook as myself and that's, um, uh has been school stuff and family stuff you can see my cute grandkids. I'm on Instagram, the five silvermans, but that's more uh, I've kind of devoted that to my hobby of cooking and so I you know there's just pictures of food on there mostly it's not uh educational content. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well uh you know under under my name and so definitely connect and um, I love to have dialogues about education and uh, look forward to being connected to people yes.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. It was so great chatting with you. Well,
1: same here, Beth. Thank you so much for for, uh, the connection and reaching out. And and I've been looking forward to this. Uh, It's been just an absolute pleasure.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Hopefully we'll get to do it again soon. Yes. Maybe when your book comes out. Yes. That'd be great. (laughs) Thanks. What a great conversation. Marty, again, thank you so much for joining me that day. It was so fun to talk with you and hear all your stories. In fact, after the episode, I think Marty and I kept talking about principals and PTA and schools and resourcing our administrators for another 20 or 30 minutes after that. Um, He just has so much experience. And I love the way that he's vulnerable and willing to share what he learned from failure and struggle along with what he's learned from his success. Um, and he's such a fun guy to work with. So Marty, again, thank you so much. Um, as always, this podcast is produced and edited by Erwin Solbach. Um, our logo design was from Alana Kanoy at Steel Consulting, and this whole production is brought to you by Responsive Learning. As always, you can find all of the resources mentioned linked in our show notes. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day.